Spencer didn't mention that I also teach Sunday school at 9.30, so if you like getting up early on Sunday, uh, you should be here for some excellent Bible teaching, and it's been a privilege to, uh, to share in the ministry of this church. Um, we're going to be looking at the uh, book of Ruth, and if you don't have a Bible under your seat, there are some uh, little blue Bibles, and uh, Ruth is found on page 127. And uh, if you don't have, if you can just take that Bible home with you if you would like to have it. We'd love to share that with you. To, to kind of introduce it a little bit, I'm going to tell a, a, a story that was interesting. Benjamin Franklin, by the way, was our ambassador to France during the revolutionary period uh, in the United States. And when he was in France for about three years as our ambassador, um, he would occasionally attend the Infidels Club. You know what the Infidels Club is? It's kind of like the Atheist Club. And they love to talk about scientific things and search for literature and beautiful stories. And one time, Benjamin Franklin, uh, it's reported that he chose to translate the book of Ruth out of the Hebrew context into the contemporary French way of thinking, and he changed the names to protect the innocent or the guilty, whichever one. He changed the names so that nobody would know. And after reading the story, these infidel club members <laughs> said, wow, that is one of the most beautiful stories we've ever heard in our life. Where did you get that story? And he said, from the Bible. <laughs> And of course, that was a bit of a, a shock to him. Ruth starts with, in the days when the judges ruled. And of course, Ruth follows the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is all about rebellion. It's just constantly turning away from God, God bringing oppression on them by capturing them by enemies and making them slaves. And then they cry out to God, and God sends a deliverer they call Judges. And the deliverer would deliver them, such as Samson or Deborah, uh, Gideon, those judges. But they were all a part of this period of time when there was so much rebellion going on. J. Vernon McGee says that the book of Ruth is like a precious pearl in the swine pit of judges. Because that was the period when the book of Ruth was written. And uh, the book of Judges, by the way, has rebellion written all over it, just back and forth. And the book of Ruth has, well, Redeemer written all over it. Matter of fact, the word Redeemer or Redemption appears over 20 times in the book of Ruth. It's a powerful story. And Larry Crabb was teaching a Sunday school class on the book of Ruth. He ended up writing a book. He's a fairly famous Christian psychologist. Wrote a book called Shattered Dreams. And the basic idea of the book was that um, God uses the pain of loss and shattered dreams to help us discover what's really important. And that's our desire to know God as he is in an intimate way. We're going to consider the effects of uh, loss in the life of Naomi, and we're going to consider the, the effects of loyalty in the life of Ruth. 
Naomi experienced such extreme loss that she went into deep depression and bitterness because she said, God has dealt bitterly with me. And of course, um, Ruth is going to demonstrate one of the most amazing demonstrations of loyalty that you can imagine. So let's dig in. We're going to turn to Ruth chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 through 5 to get it before us. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing word that gives light in our darkness, that gives understanding in our confusion, and enables us to know the true living word, Jesus Christ. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and be our teacher this morning, that we would indeed be able to understand your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Famine in Bethlehem. That's kind of an oxymoron, interesting way of putting it. Bethlehem means house of bread. <laughs> and there's no bread. No bread in Bethlehem. There's a famine. And it's a, a painful famine. They're doing without, uh, you know, Bethlehem. You, you remember Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee light. The hopes and fears of all the years are not met in thee tonight. <laughs> it was a very different picture than when Jesus Christ came. When uh, Elimelech was there facing the reality, my family is going to die of starvation if we don't get out of here. And so they decide to move on to Moab. And of course, Jesus made an amazing promise because he is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He is the real house of bread, not Bethlehem. But of course, he was born into Bethlehem. And so it's a beautiful picture of what God is doing. But Elimelech takes his family into Moab, hoping to find bread since the house of bread didn't have any bread. What's your life missing that you think would make you happy and satisfied? I got a call from a friend a couple of years ago, and he was calling on his cell phone from Russia. I said, what are you doing in Russia? He said, I'm here to get a wife. A wife? I'd been in counseling with him before, and I knew that he had had a couple of American wives. 
and they didn't work out too good, so maybe he thought this Russian wife, yeah, they might be a little more submissive or cooperative or whatever. I don't know what the deal was. But anyway, what are you looking at that might, be, might make you happy and satisfied? But Elimelech ends up dying, of course, and now poor Naomi is a widow in a foreign land, but at least she's got her two sons. Her two sons can go out and do spare jobs and make a little bit and be able to get along. Uh, and then Naomi, uh, Naomi's sons decide to marry some Moabite women. But 10 years later, the sons die. Well, now we got trouble. These Moabite girls are widows now depending on Naomi that's a widow and in this... Um, male society that they were living it was not an easy thing to make it matter of fact it, it, your your basic social security plan was children that's why they wanted to have lots of kids so that at least one or two of them would take care of them in their old age because there was no government providing some kind of social security so naomi is stuck with a couple of girls that are despised by israelites so if she takes them back to Israel, it's not going to go well. And of course, racism was pretty standard back in those days. And so for Naomi to stay in Moab, she's of course facing all the rejection that goes along with that. So this book of Ruth is a fascinating book. Because when you consider everything that's happening here, in the Bible you hope God's going to come through with some kind of miraculous something or other. But this book has no miracles, it has no revelations, it has no appearances of uh, angels, it doesn't have anything supernatural in it. It's just showing how God is the king and he's going to be in charge and he's going to make things work out, but right now they're not working out too well. Matter of fact, some commentators suggest that um, the name of uh, the head of the family, Elimelech, means God is king and maybe this was a subtle way of saying God is king but he's in the background right now and things are not working out according to his way I believe that God works in a supernatural way even though there are no miracles or major revelations God works in our lives in a natural setting a lot of times just to accomplish his supernatural purposes and I, I believe he's done that in my life well let's move on and check out Naomi now who's gonna try to think maybe if I return to Bethlehem it'll be better so beginning at verse 6 we're gonna read to verse 8 it says then she arose with her daughters-in-law and to return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, that the Lord may deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So here, both of Naomi's sons are now dead. She's left a helpless widow. She's in a foreign land no hope and all of a sudden this glimmer of hope <laughs> i hear there's food back in bethlehem so let's head back to so she decides to go back 
she's going to go back and stay with her relatives wherever she can. Robert Frost said that home is where when you go there, they have to take you in. And so she's hoping that when she gets back, somebody, you know, kind of like Mary and Joseph had to stay in a stable or something. Anyway, she's going to go back with her two daughters-in-law. And on the way back, Naomi says a very strange thing in verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and me. That is your husbands and with my husband. You've dealt kindly. The word kindly is the word hesed. It's a very fascinating word. Hesed, the kindness of God. The, uh, the word is also translated steadfast love in Psalm 136. Matter of fact, in Psalm 136, it repeats 26 times the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Orpah probably had a skeptic's attitude to this God is good all the time. You ever hear that? You know, someone says, God is good, and somebody else says, all the time. And then somebody says, all the time, God is good. And I think Orpah probably had a little skeptics to that. But Ruth may have seen something different in Naomi. And God had worked in her heart in a way that she saw Naomi maybe trusting God the way Job did when Job's friends were criticizing him, he finally said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Wow. Evidently, Naomi is doing that. She continues to refer to God as Yahweh. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. From the Latin, it can be translated Jehovah. But it's the personal name of God. Yahweh has been... Okay, he's dealt bitterly with me, but I still trust him. Naomi has not been afraid to face her pain and loss, but she still acknowledges God and even looks for that bright moment when, oh yeah, back in Bethlehem, I understand there's food now. So the story comes in a time of judges, remember, when God would be punishing his people for the sins not of Naomi's, but she's going to be living with the consequences. So let's uh, look at as Naomi tries to convince the girls to go back, uh, beginning in verse 9 down to verse 14. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we'll return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I could have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and, uh, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake 
that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Ruth has this amazing kind of loyalty. After Naomi has prayed for him, you know, may the Lord deal kindly with you. May he show his hesed to you as you've shown hesed to me and to my passed away husband and sons. But they promised to go with her. But you have no prospects, she said. <laughs> what are you doing? Normal Israelites, they won't marry you. And I can't produce any more boys that could marry you. And do you understand that God has attacked me? Did you see that phrase? The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Not the hand of the Lord is against me. Not the hand of the Lord has been with me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against It's attacked me. God is attacking me. You don't want to go with me. This time they weep again. <laughs> And uh, Orpah kisses her and says, goodbye. And off goes Orpah back. She's smart. She's doing the sensible things. She's reasonable. She realizes, I'm, I'm going to be a foreigner in Israel, and they're not allowed to marry Moabites. They're not, I'll never be able to do anything. And so she does what Naomi suggests, and she goes home. But Ruth, on the other hand, mm, she has a different plan. But before we move to Ruth, how about if we look a little bit more at Naomi's misery and loss in verses 19 through 22. So we're going to go to the end of the chapter and then go back and pick up the part with Ruth. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The whole town was stirred, and they're looking at Naomi, and they're thinking, wait a minute. This lady, she, maybe she's a little past midlife, but good night. She looks like an old woman. And they asked the question, is this? This is Naomi? Her name means pleasant or lovely. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. That means bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. I left full and now I'm back empty. I have nothing. Now, when she left full, she didn't mean, you know, full of bread because <laughs> they didn't have any bread. What she meant is, I had a husband. I had two boys. I had a family. I was in good condition. And now, what have I got? Nothing. Empty. My life. Matter of fact, she says, Yahweh has testified against me. That's actually a legal term that's talking about one giving testimony in a court case 
and she has been found guilty and punished. And then she refers to God as the Almighty. That's El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is the one who is great, that can do anything. He can accomplish amazing things, but all he's done is heaped all this trouble on me. How do we handle pain? when we're dealing with situations like this, when one loss after another again and again and again, we might turn to self-pity and try to get others to join our pity party. Some folks say, hey, I can make it. It's determination, I'm gonna make it through. Any of you that have seen um, Gone with the wind. You remember Scarlett O'Hara up there in that, it was a t potato patch and she was looking for a little lost potato that might have been left. And this is what Scarlett O'Hara says as she's standing out there in that barren land. As God is my witness, I will never be hungry again. That's the way some people face the struggles and difficulties. Some of us might hide our struggles with a big smile. Fine, I'm fine, fine, I'm good. How about you, good, good, fine, uh, yeah, I'm good. Some people to avoid pain go to the extreme of suicide. That's a permanent solution and if it's not the right one, don't try it. <laughs> it's pretty stupid. Some uh, just get busy get busy with dinners and activities and do this and do that and a little bit of social gatherings. And, but let's consider what a difference it made when Ruth decided to be loyal in this situation with her mother-in-law. Amazing loyalty of Ruth. Uh, I'm gonna read you that passage from 15 to 18. We'll back back up to get the rest of chapter one. So she said, See, she's talking now to Ruth, of course, because uh, Orpah has gone back. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Naomi tries to turn Ruth back by using a little peer pressure. Come on, your sister-in-law, she's doing the right thing. Why don't you go back too? Naomi's attitude is basically this. I'm not anybody that can do anything for you. Now, we're going to discover in the rest of the book that God is somebody that can do something for both Naomi and Ruth. And here's another part of her attitude. Ruth, I can't do anything for you. But as we work our way through this book, we're going to discover that God can because he's going to be with Naomi and Ruth. 
Now, here's even more interesting about her attitude, and it seems like it's this way to me. She says, not only that, I don't want to do anything for you. Go back! But the story is going to reveal the reality that God can do with impossible situations things we never could have imagined. So when we get to the end of the book, we're going to know <laughs> that God was ordaining the circumstances in such a way to give Naomi the continuation of her family and Ruth a place in the royal genealogy of King David and on into the royal genealogy of Jesus Christ, the ultimate redeemer. It's going to be a beautiful picture as we work our way through the book of Ruth. Then the speech that Ruth gives here, uh, one commentator said it's more famous than the Gettysburg Address. Uh, really? I mean, I grew up in a traditional church where we were biblically illiterate. You know, I didn't know much except to repeat the liturgy and the stuff that you went through. So I didn't really know about Ruth's little thing. But later on, when Kit and I got married, my, my sister actually sang the song. This whole passage, she sang it, Entreat me not to leave thee. <laughs> That's a sweet way to say it from the old King James Bible. But here she's saying, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, your God, my God, where you die, I will die. So her attitude, Ruth's attitude is, Don't even talk to me about not going with you, because I'm going with you. You see, some relationships are more important than other issues that, you know, like standing in society or being successful. And Kit and I were missionaries for 18 years in Spain, and we were in our, oh, it was about the eighth or ninth year, we were beginning to be a little effective. We got a church planted. It was really going great. And then I was trying to start a church in a town near there and over in this other town over there and then helping out our other missionaries doing things. And I was traveling, going constantly. And finally, Kit came to me. I mean, we're missionaries, all right? She came to me and she said, why don't we separate? I want a divorce. I can't live like this anymore. She said, she described this word picture. A counselor said, help him understand with a word picture. She said, I feel like I'm a donkey pulling a cart and the family is the cart back there and I'm pulling with all of my might and there's a stick held out there with a carrot dangling in front of me and I keep trying to get a bite of the carrot and I can never get the, oh God, I'm pulling on this cart and I can never get the carrot. And she said, you're the carrot. I was trying to win the world for Jesus and losing my wife. Well, through the effective counseling, we managed to get things straightened out and we stayed together and oh, wow. What if I had missed these last 30-something years <laughs> With Kit, it would have been a horrible thing. Ruth told Naomi, I don't care where you go. I will go with you. It doesn't matter. 
uh, Gerald and Elisa, it was, it was interesting. Elisa had graduated from college, and um, Gerald had graduated from high school a year or two late because, you know, we bounced him back and forth from Spanish to English to English to Spanish. <laughs> and so he graduated a little bit older, but he was just a high school kid. And he was working, you know, digging holes to put in posts for real estate signs. And that was his job at the moment. And they were talking marriage. And my wife is concerned for Elisa. And so she takes Elisa aside and says, Elisa, listen, if you were to marry Jarl, it's like getting on a train without knowing where it's going. And Elisa said to my wife, I don't care where the train's going. I just want to go with him. Whew. That's Ruth. That's commitment. That's loyalty. That's amazing. And then she says, I'll lodge where you lodge. Uh, it's not like, you know, a vacation lodge on the lake. <laughs> any, any house can be a home if I can just be with you. We, we had an interesting experience of um, having uh, met some friends that were from the upper society of Columbia when I was at Columbia Bible College our first year. We lived in a trailer in the woods, and I met this fellow. I think I bought some insurance from him or something, and I went to his office, and he had this high-up office with big windows overlooking the high-rises of Columbia, South Carolina, and I'm looking at this office, and I'm like, wow, this guy's, you know, he's important. And then we went for dinner to his house, and oh my goodness, I've never been in a house so nice, and what furniture they had. It was just phenomenal. And, and he, you know, he drove us around in his Mercedes, and everything was fine. But then one day it all crashed, and bankruptcy hit, and he lost his office downtown, he lost his house, he even lost his furniture. You believe that? I didn't know people rented or mortgaged their furniture. <laughs> so when he lost, he lost everything. So he comes driving up. He rents the trailer in the woods next to us. And he drives up in his Mercedes with his two kids. And they get out. And we're helping them get set up. And I said, where's your wife? And he said, she left me. She said she's not going to live in a trailer in the woods. Well, Ruth is not like that. True loyalty is till death do us part. That, that expression, of course, is what we say in a wedding ceremony. It, it, but it does come from the Bible. It, it, uh, it says that Ruth clung to her in verse 14 which is the same Hebrew expression that we see in Genesis 2.24, that father, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. She's, they're clinging together. It's a beautiful picture of the importance of commitment to people. You know, this kind of commitment to friendship, Mark Zuckerberg has made billions of dollars on that kind of friendship that people are trying to preserve these friends throughout their life that they no longer live close to because of the importance of being committed to one another. It's similar to the call that Jesus gave. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And in verse 18, it says that Naomi saw her determination. Naomi recognized Hesed in Ruth and Orpah, uh, and that Orpah had before Orpah decided to go back. And she said, as you've been kind to me, may God be kind to you, this word Hesed. It embodies love and generosity and kindness, enduring commitment. Hesed. That's an interesting word, and it's a Hebrew word. Say it with me. Hesed. Hesed. Let's try it. Hesed. Hesed is in Psalm 136, translated steadfast love. You know, when you're doing Bible study, a dictionary can be a great thing. You know what the dictionary says about steadfast? The steadfast love? The first definition is firmly fixed in place, immovable. That's steadfast. Second definition, not subject to change. That's steadfast love, God's steadfast. Firm in belief and determination or adherence to something loyal. God's loyal love, or has said, endures forever. Surely Ruth is banking on knowing God by sticking with Naomi. Kit and I did not have has said within ourselves to have this kind of loyalty to one another, we had to turn to God to restore what we had lost in those first 18 years of marriage. Jesus compared the disciples to a woman giving birth before his crucifixion. And in John 16, he says, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away. Wouldn't you like to have unshakable joy that is there permanent even though the situation might be sad, like losing Jesus, of course, in this situation? Wouldn't you like to have that unshakable joy? It's by knowing Jesus in his resurrection power. He says, I'm going to come back, and you're going to see me, and you are going to experience newness of life. That's what it says in Romans 6. It says that we're buried in baptism but raised to walk in newness of life. Wouldn't you like to have a new life? That kind of loyalty can come by knowing Jesus Christ. This is the way Paul describes it. In the loss that can accompany the commitment of loyalty to Jesus Christ, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He lost all the benefits of being a zealous Jew by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, there's got to be faith. In verse 9, he said, believers really want to be right with God. I count everything a loss. Let's move to verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on Faith. In other words, I'm not confident of my said to be loyal to him. I'm confident in his said to be loyal to me. And that's where I place my faith 
in him. It doesn't depend on my chesed. Like Ruth, Paul was ready to lose his people and his religion and put all his hope in Christ. The deepest desire of our life is found in verse 10 that says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. As the band comes up, would you like to know Jesus the way Paul did who could count every benefit in life that he had as rubbish in order to know Christ and be found in his hesed, his steadfast love that endures forever. Your part is to have faith in God's loyalty, in God's hesed, his steadfast love that never ceases. Your hesed may fail, but you're putting your faith in his hesed. You're trusting him to keep you faithful. To be a real believer, we must trust him completely. That he really is better than everything else in life. And in him, we can joyfully face the loss of anything in life except the presence of him in our life. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to be genuine in our desire to express to you you can take the world, you can have it all, but give me Jesus. I need him. I can do without anything else, but I've got to have Jesus working in my heart because I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, my friends, please trust Jesus and him alone. I pray in his name. Amen.